0: We are so pumped that you are here with us this morning on our ministry year kickoff and uh, really excited today to uh, launch into a brand new year of ministry and all that God's going to do in your life and in the life of our church and the life of your family over this next year. And as you might have caught on by the banners and by the songs and by everything else, today our new theme for the year is Firm Foundation. And we're going to be looking at exactly what we need to build our lives on in order to make it in this crazy world. And uh, we're going to start a new sermon. I'm going to have a sermon today by that name. We're going to have a new series starting today by that name. And we're going to carry that theme throughout the year as we look at God's Word and as we learn from Him in so many different areas. Um, But today, uh, we're going to jump right into God's Word. So grab your Bibles with me. Uh, if you're a guest, welcome, we're glad you're here. Uh, if you need a Bible, there should be some hardback black ones there in the chairs around you. You can grab one of those, ask for somebody down the road to hand you one, and you can follow along with us there, we'd love for you to do that. And if you're online, welcome, grab your Bible as well. We're going to Psalm chapter 11 to kick it off this morning. So Old Testament, right in the middle of your Bible, Psalm chapter 11 is where we're going to start, and I'm going to tag that with a second passage later on, Luke chapter 6. So you might want to put a bookmark or something over in Luke chapter 6, and we will get there in just a little bit later, but we're going to start in Psalm 11 this morning. So um, Courtney, my wife, um, often calls it the biggest fight ever in our marriage. Uh, it was about one year in, so we, we, got, we got started off good, um, and so we were about one year in, it happened to be on Father's Day, and um, it was... Uh, it was in her mind. It was time to start having a conversation about when we were going to start having kids, and um, and normally that's like a, a good, healthy conversation for couples to have. Like right? that's that's got to happen at some point. The problem was, the rub was, um, it came out she wanted two and I wanted zero. <laughs> How we got to this place in our marriage and. Our marriage counselors and our mentors in our lives did not somehow sort this out and like make us like, hey, that's like marriage premarital counseling 101. Get the family plan together, right? Like get unity on that. And somehow we missed that step. And um, and so we're having this huge fight and she's devastated, obviously, and I'm determined like this is what it is. And it just did not go well. And so we had this huge fight and we finally settled and we ended up, if you know our family, we ended up having three. So you do the math. I don't know how that works out. but um, and, and there are moments where I question that decision wholeheartedly. But nonetheless, that's where we're at, okay? And so the reason I'm telling you this story is not just to show you the, the high level of dysfunction early on in our marriage, but um, to share with you why I wanted zero. You see, at that point in my life, I was in my early 20s, and I was looking around at the world, and I had seen how much sin and immorality and stuff chaos had just progressed from my childhood to then and i was like why would i want to bring another human being into this mess like it just didn't, in, in my mind in my natural mind my solution was no <laughs> like just just we'll just go over here just run away hide hole up and just wait till jesus comes right like we don't need to like add to the mess of all of this stuff going on Thankfully, through study of God's word and through the Holy Spirit working in my life over time, he showed me that that was not his plan, that that's not what, that's not the way he worked, and he brought me along, and uh, we finally came to a place of unity on that, obviously. Um, And I'm thankful for that, but, but here's my point in telling you that story. I think that today, in our world right now, in America, that many people, many Christians, many churchgoers are having similar thoughts and feelings. They're looking around at our world, they're looking at the chaos, they're looking at all the struggles, all the stuff, and they're like, maybe not the kid thing, maybe it's not about kids, but just in general, like, what are we going to do? Like, this is a mess. Everything seems to be crumbling, everything seems to be falling apart, like nothing is like it used to be, like what happened to the good old days, and it just all feels like it's just falling apart around our eyes. And we've are getting to this place where we feel like, man, there's, I, I don't know what to do. I feel like the, the, the foundation of our culture is crumbling, and I just want to run away and hide. I just want to withdraw. I just want to just find, like, find a place to like hold up and just hold on until Jesus comes. And the reason that we often feel this way is because the foundation that we have been standing on that we've been building our lives on up to this point was the wrong foundation. They were false foundations. And now they're starting to crumble, and we don't know what to do about that. And I'm here to tell you this morning, friends, that the Bible's answer, God's answer, is not to retreat. It's not to run away and withdraw. It's to reestablish ourselves and our faith and our families and our church on the true foundation, the firm foundation that God puts out in His love, a better foundation that exists for our lives. And that's where we're going to start this morning in Psalm 11, that the Lord and His Word are the only firm foundation for my life. The Lord and His Word are the only, say only this morning, only firm foundation for my life. That's where we've got to start. And so, Here in Psalm 11, this is a psalm of David, and David wrote this psalm at a point in his life where everything was crumbling around him. We're not sure if it was his personal life or the kingdom at large or maybe a combination of both, but everything feels like it's just falling apart. And David writes Psalm 11, and this is how he starts. Look at verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see and his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous and he loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. First point this morning from Psalm 11 is this, the Lord is my refuge. That's how, that's how David starts. He starts the whole Psalm and he says, in the Lord I take refuge. Refuge. From all the attacks, from all the trouble, from all the opposition, from all the chaos, when it feels like the walls are caving in, when there's no light at the end of the tunnel, when the world is crumbling around me, David says, the Lord is my refuge. And then he goes on to engage with some counselors who have been talking to him. right? And he says, he says how can you say to me, all right, so he's responding now to somebody who's, who said something to him. All right? He's, he's going to quote for us what they said. How can you say to me, flee to your mountain? So someone's counsel to David has been like, hey, everything's falling apart, so you just need to run and hide. Right? Like, like, Just go somewhere else, find a safe place, find your own solution, like just get out of all this mess and just run away. Their counsel has been desert God, desert his purposes, forget the kingdom, forget everything else, just escape and you do you, to put it in 2022 vernacular, okay? He says, for behold, and this is, again, the counselor's talking. He's like, run, because the, behold, the wicked bend the bow and they shoot into the dark. Which was absolutely true. Like, there was, there was real threat here. There was real danger. There was real opposition to David at this point. He's not making it up. So there was no denying that things were escalating They say run away because they're shooting at you, they're shooting at the upright in heart. I want to take just a moment to zero in on that phrase. Because it's very important. Sometimes I think when we read the Old Testament, we read the Psalms, we we, we can we can get off on the wrong track on what it means to be a follower of God. But here, David's very specific. He, He says they shoot at the upright in heart. Because the heart is where it always starts. This is the person who has a heart for God, who loves God, who desires to follow God, and because they love God, then comes from that love upright behavior that follow him and his word. It's not reversed. You can't can't flip it. The upright behavior doesn't come first. Never comes first. The heart has to come first. First, I love the Lord, and I have an upright heart towards him, and then out of that heart flows an upright life that follows after the Lord. She says they're shooting at the upright in heart. It makes them targets of all these worldly attacks because they're following God, because they love the Lord. And then they say this final statement to David. This is their question to him. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In other words, what good does it do to walk after the Lord and follow after God if everything's falling apart? Have you ever asked that question? Like, God, why am I even doing this? Why am, why am I even following you? Why am I putting in the effort? Why am I, why am I giving myself to you if it's, everything is just falling apart? You're not doing anything. That's the question that they're asking David. And the word foundations here that they're using when they say the foundations are destroyed, foundations means like the order of society. Right? So they're saying, hey, listen, God's law, God's justice, God's system in israel is falling apart all right it's god's nation his chosen people his the ones that he's put his hand on he's allowing them to completely fall apart and if he's letting them all fall apart he's letting the whole group just then what hope do we have if he's not stepping in if he's not doing anything how will we survive if god abandons us to the ways of the world i could just hear some of the people in israel at this time saying i don't even recognize this place, anymore. I don't even recognize God's country anymore. Hashtag not my Israel, or something like that, right? Like, like they're just like, what, what is this? But see, their question actually displays the very problem in their hearts. The reason they think the foundations are destroyed is because they've been building on the wrong foundations. They are are being destroyed. They are falling apart because they're false foundations. At this point, they had been building their faith, they'd been building their lives on the governmental system that God had put in place. They'd They'd been putting all their hopes in the temple and in all the laws and all the customs of their faith. They had been lulled to sleep in believing that everything was great because their faith existed in a culture that never challenged it. And then when it started to fall apart and when challenge started to come, they didn't know what to do. And so David here, he immediately corrects their error with two words. The Lord. That's all he says. He doesn't give a a big introduction. He doesn't try to lead it. He just says, listen, the Lord. the, The Lord, he is the answer. He is the solution. He is the foundation that we need because he is my refuge. He says the Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. Despite the appearances on earth, despite everything you see that's that's happening and falling apart, nothing has changed in heaven. Nothing's changed. The king is still in residence. He is not in flight. He still retains full power and full control over all of the chaos. It's only happening because He's allowing it to happen. His power still reigns supreme over all of creation, and that foundation is not destroyed. And it will never be destroyed. He goes on, He says, the Lord His eyes see, which is a way of just reminding us that He is all-sovereign. That He is... He is all-knowing. He's not surprised by any of this. He's not surprised by what's happening in Israel at this time. He knew it was coming. He allowed it to happen. And it says that he allowed it to happen for his purposes because he says the Lord tests mankind. Both the righteous and the wicked. And interestingly here, I thought it was interesting how he basically defined the wicked. He said, the wicked are those who love violence rather than love God. And I think when we first read that, it might be easy to kind of like give ourselves a pass. Like, well, that's not me. I don't love violence. Like, I don't love violence. Like, who loves violence? But here's the reality, my friends. The most pervasive violence in all of the world is not out there. It's in here. It's the love of our own self over everything else. When we love ourselves more than we love God, more than we love others, more than we love anything else in this world, that is the root, that is the heart of all violence. All sin, all wickedness, lying, cheating, stealing, murder, gossip, lust, greed, jealousy, strife, the list goes on and on. They all go back to me loving myself more than someone or something else. And we all have that violence living inside of us. And then he says this of the wicked. He says, let the Lord rain coals and fire and sulfur on them. He's drawing a picture here. Like those who in Israel, they would have known exactly what he was talking about. He's talking about the picture of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you know that Old Testament story where God rained down fire to consume an entire city because they were so wicked and they refused to repent of their sin and turn to God. And he's reminding them, like, this is what is coming for all of those who do not follow God, who do not love the Lord. He says this will be the, this, his wrath will be the portion of their cup. And that, that's a, a common metaphor all through Scripture, is the cup of God's wrath. Jeremiah 25, 15 says, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of, my, of, of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. In other words, it's symbolic of the, the consequence for our sin, the consequence of our rebellion against a perfect and holy God is wrath. It's his wrath coming to our everlasting lives and everlasting punishment." But thankfully, we know the end of the story, that God made a way, a better way, than having to walk and drink from that cup. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth and to drink that cup of wrath for us. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our love of self and violence in our hearts, we deserve nothing less than death and hell. The wrath of God. And yet, God loved us enough and His grace was sufficient enough to send His own Son, Jesus Christ, to come and to walk a perfect and sinless life, only to then go to the sinner's cross and to bear the sin Of all those who would believe in him. And to drink the cup of wrath that they deserved. He stood in our place as a substitute. And he died for us. And he went into the grave. And three days later he rose back to life. To prove that he was God. To prove that he conquered sin. He conquered death. It was all taken care of. It was finished. And now he offers us salvation. If we will repent of our sin. And turn to him. If our hearts if our hearts, not your behaviors, if your hearts will love Him more than anything else, He'll save you from your sin. And that's important because the next line in the psalm says, For the Lord is righteous. That's His character. He is perfect in every single way completely free from any sin, from any error. He is righteousness. He sets the standard for righteousness. Any righteousness that you ever see or experience in your life, it flows from who He is. It all comes from Him. And not only is He righteous, but David says He loves righteous deeds. Which is precisely why every single one of us needs Jesus Christ. Because we cannot produce righteous deeds on our own we don't have that ability we are t- our hearts are too broken by the sin of this world we can't do the righteousness on our own behalf we need Jesus' righteousness to come and to cover us and then the, his spirit to come and live inside of us and to change our hearts so that we can follow god in righteousness And then David concludes, and he says, the upright shall behold his face. In other words, those who love him, those who are upright in heart, will get to be near him, will get to see him, will get to be in his presence, not because we've done the right things, not because of our great, righteous, upright lives, but because our hearts have submitted themselves to love the righteous God. Because he is our refuge. Even when the chaos comes, even when the opposition hits, even when the attacks are hitting us from every angle, we don't run from the Lord, we run to the Lord. He is our refuge. He is the firm foundation of our hearts. I kind of alluded to this earlier, but you know, for many in our country today, I think we could take Psalm 11 and lift it straight out of David's day and just drop it right on top of our own, right? Like it's, there's, the the, the feelings are so parallel and many Christians, many churchgoers in America today are lamenting what they perceive to be the loss of a quote unquote Christian nation. And I want to just be honest with you for a moment this morning. There's no such thing. When the Bible uses the word Christian, it never talks about a government system. It talks about a people. People are Christian. Governments are not. And even if we go back to the founding of America and we look at those founding documents, the original documents that were written, they were written with a freedom for religion, not a freedom for Christianity. And most of the founding fathers were not Christians. They were deists. They believed in God, but they did not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. And so we need to dispense with the idea that we're somehow losing a Christian nation, but I think the heart behind what people are trying to say is still true. What they're really trying to say is the the, the moral character, the the, the values that our country was built with, those were Judeo-Christian morals and Judeo-Christian values, that those are slipping away. And they are. As the country marches on, those are being dispensed of. And that is shaking our world in ways that we never expected. I, I read a, a Gallup poll just this week. They just did a new, just last year, brand new poll they were um, surveying Americans on their views of morality. And what they found is that the majority of Americans have shifted their views on major issues when it comes to morality. For example, the majority of Americans now say that divorce, premarital sex, gay and lesbian relations, gambling, doctor-assisted suicide, and abortion are all morally acceptable. The majority of Americans say those things are now morally acceptable. And then interestingly enough, in the same survey, 81% of Americans agreed that they are concerned about the declining moral behavior in our country. Yeah. (laughs) Because you're saying all the things are okay when they're not. When God says they're sin and we say it's not, yeah, what do you think is going to happen? And this shifting cultural reality has left many conservative Christians, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, committed Christians, it's left them reeling with fear and anxiety and panic. Like, what is happening to our nation? What, what, how are we becoming the minority in the world that was built on our thing? How, how, how are we... How are we going to make it if this country just continues to crumble? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's what they're asking. And maybe, maybe some of you are feeling that same way today. Or maybe you have been feeling that way. So, so what would David say to us? What would God's word say to us in this moment of his church in America in 2022? He would say just like Israel we've built our lives on the wrong foundations that our faith and our, sometimes our families and our churches and that they've, they've been built on some false foundations of this world a government system that supported our moral and religious faith for so long on a fluent, successful, comfortable system of churches and religious offerings that always made it super easy when I wanted to conveniently go to church and be a Christian. The luxury of functioning as a majority and not having to defend our faith or suffer for our faith. A culture that valued and rewarded religious participation regardless of the actual heart motivation behind it. And because we have built on all these things and these realities are changing, we feel like the foundations are crumbling and like the only option that we have left is to retreat and to shelter and to run away. But friends, I'm here to tell you, just like David assured his people in this psalm, God has not abandoned us. He is still in His holy temple. He is still sitting on the heavenly throne. He is still exalted over all and worthy of our worship. What is destroyed is the fake foundations that we need to let go so that we can rebuild our lives and our faith and our church and our families on the true foundation that is the Lord alone and nothing else. No matter what crumbles around us, He will stand forever. So we can confidently proclaim, the Lord is my refuge, my firm foundation. So the first thing we see from Psalm 11 is that. First it starts with the Lord himself, and then it moves in addition to a second piece that we're going to see in Luke chapter 6. So flip now, Get your Bibles. Flip over to Luke chapter six, and in this section of Luke, Jesus is giving what we oftentimes call the Sermon on the Plain. And so he's talking to his followers. He's talking to disciples. He's giving them this big sermon, all this teaching, this great spiritual teaching. And then he ends the entire sermon with this story. With this story in Luke chapter six, verse forty-six, that's where I'm picking up. Verse forty-six. Jesus says this. He says, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord?" And not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Point number two this morning is this, the Lord, I'm sorry, his word is my rock. Point number one, the Lord is my refuge. Number two, his word is my rock, my foundation. So Jesus jumps in here in verse 46, and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Now, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to his followers. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to, to church people. He says, like, why do you call me Lord? And, and he's not even just, today we use the word Lord almost like it's like just kind of like another name for Jesus. Or just kind of like a generic title. But in this context, it had much, much more weight than that. Lord was a title of great honor and reverence and worship. It was expressing a heart of love and admiration, like he is the Lord. And Jesus says, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you?" Which is like the resounding question in the head of every parent. Like, like, how do you say you love me and don't listen? Why do you say you love me and act as if you don't? That's the disconnect. Because you see, we we inherently know what the Bible already tells us, that actions flow from the heart. All of our actions, everything we do, everything we say, it flows from whatever's in our heart. Obedience is always a byproduct of love. So Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Jesus greatest stories. He says, let me tell you a story about two men and how you can live your life in response to God's word and to the Lord himself. He says, man number one is the man who hears the word and does it. Hears and does. This is a person who desires God. His heart is for God, and so he also desires to do God's word. Right? Again, it starts with the heart, but then it flows out to, I desire to do what the Lord says because I love him. Or as it says in the Gospels elsewhere, it says, he who loves Jesus therefore keeps his commandments. Right? So it says the man who hears and does is like a man who built a house. Right? His house represents his life. We're all, we're all building a house right now. We're all building a life on something. And this man, says he built his house, he built his life, and he dug down deep and he laid a foundation on something. The rock. And the rock represents God's word. His absolute, ageless, eternal truth. Everything that you want in a foundation, right? It's strong, it's stable, it's solid, it's enduring. He dug down deep and he built his life on God's word. And it says, when a flood arose, notice it doesn't say if a flood arose, when a flood arose, because listen, friends, you live in a broken world. Floods are coming for you. We're, none of us are getting through this life without getting hit with the floodwaters of the brokenness of sin and wickedness and all that stuff. It's coming, and it's going to keep coming. And it says, when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house. All the trouble, all the chaos, all the attacks, all the opposition, all the problems of this world that seek to shake our lives, that seek to destroy our houses. It all came flooding in, but notice what it says. It could not shake it because it had been well built. In other words, it was strong enough to weather the flood because it had a firm foundation on the rock. It wasn't strong enough because the guy was such a good builder. Right? It wasn't because he had the right materials or because he was such a, a master craftsman that he built a strong house. It stood because it was on the rock. It was on the word of the Lord. That was his firm foundation. And so the house was able to withstand the flood of this world. In contrast, the second man, man number two, hears the word and does not do it. Does not. A a person, this is describing a person whose heart is not for God. His heart is for himself. And so he doesn't follow God's word. He follows his own word. I want to do it my way. I know what's best. I got this. I don't need you, God. I'm doing my thing. That heart. That guy. It says that he also built a house. Again, we're all building a house. We're all building a life on something. But he says he built his house without a foundation. And this week when I was studying this, that was the first time that phrase clicked for me. Notice it says he built without a foundation. Not that he built with a different foundation. He built with no foundation at all. And what this is showing us is that many people believe, in our world today, many people believe they are building their lives on a different foundation. On a different rock. Right? They think that they're building on the foundation of, of intellectual knowledge and, and, and growing in all of this intelligence or they think they're building on the foundation of financial wealth and stability or they think they're building on the the, the foundation of relational connectedness and and all these great relationships that they have or personal giftedness or internal happiness or whatever it is they think they're building on a different foundation what they don't realize is that all of those are false foundations they're not real they're just facades Because there's only one true foundation. That is the Lord and His Word. And so in reality, they're building on no foundation at all. And so their lives are weak and unstable and shaky and chaotic. And so when the stream broke against this house, when the world inevitably comes crashing in, See what it says? Immediately it fell. No chance of standing. Because it had no foundation to hold it up. Now, I've lived in this area in Missouri most of my life. If, if, I know many of you have as well. If you've lived here for a long time, I'm sure you remember like I do the, the great flood of 1993. If, you're, if you weren't around, if you're new to this area... This was a time where just you know, historic rainfall came, and the Mississippi, and the Missouri, and the Merrimack Rivers, they all flooded their banks just to unbelievable levels, and I was in my early teens during this time, and my, I remember my dad taking us downtown to see the arch, and the water was all the way up to the base of the arch, like, almost flooded the I got a picture here of that, it like, almost flooded the arch, and it was so just massive flooding. And there were little towns all up and down the rivers that were completely underwater, right? Houses, businesses, schools, churches, everything was flooded. But I remember, I was thinking back to that this week, I remember there was one image from that time period that was just kind of like burned into my mind. And I was able to go back and actually find a video clip of this from a local news station from the flood of 1993. I I want you to see this clip for just a second. Go ahead and roll that video. There it goes. Just now, lifted off the foundation, and it's just crumbling in the rapid and the violent waters here that are coming through this levee bridge about three miles south of the Jefferson Barracks Bridge. We've watched the silos go. We've watched the barn go. We've watched a shed go, and now the house itself has been lifted off the foundation by these floodwaters. It's, It's just unbelievable. That is the image that Jesus is giving in this story. A house, a life, that is completely destroyed, completely devastated by the flood of this world. It's by the waters that come rushing against it and it has no foundation to hold it up. And That's why Jesus says that the ruin of Of that house was great. For some of us here, that could be the banner over our lives. The ruin of my life is great. Your life, you feel like your life is just a series of collapses over and over. And over again. It feels like you're constantly being knocked down and just washed away, just like that house, by the things of this world. And you keep getting up, and you keep coming back, and you keep trying to rebuild. But the problem is, you keep rebuilding on the wrong foundations. And so it's only a matter of time until the next flood comes, and it all washes away again. And again. And again. It's never going to stand. But the scariest part is that Jesus is not just talking about ruin in this life. He's talking about an even greater ruin that is coming for those who do not have a foundation on him in the next life. You see, when we fail to obey God's word, when we fail to to love the Lord and obey his word, we show that we never truly have been saved by Jesus Christ. Our hearts never got there. Again, the the obedience doesn't save us. The obedience isn't what works. But the lack of obedience to God's word shows that our heart is not really for the Lord. That it hasn't ever really been converted. That he is the Lord. As Jesus points out to his disciples at the beginning of the story which means if that's us, if that's our story, we've never been saved by His grace, that one day in eternity, ruin will come that is greater than we can even imagine. And we will suffer eternal punishment separated from God. Building on the firm foundation of the Lord and His Word. The building doesn't save us, but it shows that we have truly been saved by Jesus and we put our faith in Him alone. It guarantees that we will be able to stand when the flood of sin and the flood of brokenness and the flood of this world rushes against our lives, which it will. Never because of us, never because of what we built, but because we are founded, we are built on the firm foundation of the Lord and His Word. His word is my rock, my firm foundation. This is where we have to start, church. If we want to follow the Lord in this next year, if we want to grow in, in his stature and in his presence, if we want to be a, a force for him and for his kingdom, it all has to start with getting the right foundation. It all starts with this reality that the Lord and His Word are the only firm foundation for my life. Not one of the foundations, not the best foundation, not a partial foundation. The only foundation for my life is the Lord and His Word. In this crazy, chaotic, ever-changing world, that truth is what we need to build our lives on. Nothing else will hold up. Nothing. It starts with hearts that are fully in love with Jesus and the grace that he showed us on that cross. And So if you haven't taken that step yet, man, we invite you today. Please, please come. Give your heart, give your life to Jesus. Let his grace save you from all your sin and all the craziness of this world. And let him change your heart. Start there. And then it proceeds to us resting on his word and following him in faith no matter what comes our way. That's us, church. If you've professed faith in Jesus Christ, this is our job. This is our next step is to dig down deep in his word and to build our lives on a firm foundation of who he is and what he says. that's what we're going to focus on this year but this morning I want us to just take a moment, just assess our own hearts what are those false foundations I've been, I've been building on what are those things I've been trusting in and what do I need to do to rebuild on the foundation that is Jesus Christ stand with me, let's pray, let's respond with song Dear Heavenly Father, we we come to you this morning, Lord, feeling feeling the the tension, feeling the the angst, the urgency, because we see the world around us. Lord, we see what's happening. We see that it's falling apart, and we want to respond rightly. We want to respond in a way that honors you and glorifies you, Lord. We love you. We love you with all of our hearts. You are the great refuge. You are our strength. You are the only foundation that will hold us up. And so God, today we afresh confirm with our hearts and with our mouths that we put our hope and our trust in you and in your word alone. Father, we declare with everything that we have that you are our firm foundation. Pray this in Christ's great holy name.